before we get into the teaching, if you guys remember the Sunday after um, the election, um, uh, after Trump was elected, I just come up, came up on Sunday, and, and something I've tried to do very often with us as a church is um, create this space or this platform for us to be able to acknowledge um, that our opinions, you can come on, come on, um, our opinions and our political views and our um, stances um, need to be dissolved in the realms of uh, Christianity, meaning that we need to think of Christ before we think of being a part of, we are Christian before we are part of the Republican Party, right? And that means it gets real messy at times. There, there are certain uh, people that were struggling, as I came up on that Sunday, that Trump was elected. And then at the same time, I know a lot of you had voted for Trump, right? And then I had shared with you guys that what had took place was, on Facebook, it was like an awesome place to be. It was this just mod podge of hate. It was awesome, right? It was like, this is the beauty of humanity at its finest. And and, and so I came up on Sunday and said, listen, at, at the core, um, what I want us to do is lay down our political agendas, and I use this word, I want us just to try to understand, just to try to understand that there are your brothers and sisters in the faith who are struggling with what's going on, right? And, and it's messy, right? Because now minimum wage is raised. I have somebody who um, can, was able to hire four people, can now only hire three people, and it's a mess for him who's running uh, the coffee shop that he's running. But at the same time, the single mom who has her minimum wage raised, she's excited, right? So, so, so both people are in the room, and we've got to be able to navigate this. And so what we want to do is create a culture of understanding. And so um, Reina and the, the, the group that is here from Neighborhood Ministries, talking with Ricardo, um, man, I, they are extremely, one, brave. I'm extremely appreciative that you guys have come and t- to share this. Um, but Reina, I'm going to start with you. So you've got first service. Um, so you get to kind of go first, and then Liz is going to go, go second service. Here's what, what I want to do. I want to create space for us in this moment for you to tell us your story, right? So are you here illegally? Are you here for, through DACA, um, a DACA recipients? Um, and then I want to ask some questions in regards to that, how we, um, as a predominantly white evangelical church, and you're an evangelical, you love Jesus, correct? Yes, okay, good. Just kidding. Um, no, so how, how can we, um, what can we know about you? And then I want to ask some questions about that. So first, maybe start with your story. Make it very real for us. Where, how'd you get here, all that, how you came to know Jesus. So go ahead. Mm-hmm. So my name is Reina Montoya. I am 26 years old now. I actually grew up in Tijuana, Mexico until I was 10. I went to actually Catholic school when I was little. And I just remember always being that you know, how to, how to be a good person for, for my classmates, for my neighbors. I was an only child until I was seven, so, you know, my mom was like, you can't be selfish. You need to make sure that you are kind of trying to be giving and trying to be loving to, to other people. And things were getting, I don't know if you're familiar with Tijuana, but things were getting really bad over there. It's a border city with San Diego, and there was a lot of violence. So my parents had to make the tough decision after my dad got kidnapped in Tijuana to, to try to relocate just for the safety of me at that time that I was 10 and my little brother, mm-hmm. whose name is Mario, and right now he's 19 and he's going to ASU. So, yeah, Santa Bolsa graduated from there. Um, but after that, you know, we moved to another city, Nogales, which is like three hours away from here. And we tried to, like, my dad was working, trying to make a living after just being really afraid about like the current the current situation in Mexico and he was just really afraid about what were going to be the consequences so at that time um, things were easier here in the U.S. we all had tourist visas so we decided to move to move here for our safety my dad got a job he was able to buy a house so we moved to Mesa Arizona so that's where I grew up 
I went to Gilbert Junior High, Mesquite High School, and I grew up without, without papers. I mean, I had a tourist visa. I had accents since I was little, a little girl. But then later after that, you know, like when we stayed here, I wasn't able to go back. And I remember just, just being really, really sad and really upset about the situation. And I remember, oh, I don't share this a lot. <laughs> I would go into my room. And I would feel really bad, and I would just cry and cry and cry, and I would be like, why am I, am I not be accepted? Why can't I just do what I do? And I remember I would pray to God, and I would curl up in my room, and I would feel really, really upset, and I would, and I would blame my parents. I would blame my parents. I was like, why did they put me in this situation? But my 13-year-old mind didn't know that night that my dad had been kidnapped, that my dad had gone through all these struggles who tried to give us a, a safety place, you know? And I kept going to church, and I kept being involved in the youth program, and everything, you know, it was my refuge. Christ was my refuge. I remember reading the Bible and seeing that in the moments not only of joy, but in the moments of despair, in the moments when you're feeling alone, when you're feeling so afraid that you just feel so paralyzed, he's there. Mm. He's with you. Mm. And that would give me comfort. And just even thinking about that moment, you know, I, I feel the Holy Spirit in my heart. But at the same time, years after, after not being able to to accept scholarships because I didn't have a social security, that it didn't matter how much hard I worked in high school. I was privileged enough and blessed to, to get a private scholarship because those were the only scholarships that we were able to get if you're undocumented here in the state of Arizona. So I went to ASU, and I remember um, still being very involved in my church. I would help with the, with the youth program, and then SB 1070 hit. So I don't know if you remember how that was like, but for, for us, we felt persecuted. So for us, the Hispanic community? For us, the undocumented, undocumented community. Okay. I, sure. I've never seen my mom so afraid that I would look into her eyes and I, I saw fear, you know? And I would be like, Mom, we'll be fine. Like, we know that we're not doing anything bad. We know that we're trying to do our best. And, and I would just try to be supportive. And I remember I would go to church and then... There were people who, who I look up to, you know, who were my mentors, who we prayed together, who we would adore Christ together, you know. And they were really happy that had that happened, that SB 1070 happened. So for me at that moment, I just felt this, like, really abrupt connect, disconnection, you know. And I remember asking them, like, how can you as a person of faith support social law that is dividing our community, that is installing hate and fear, that is not going to allow me to serve, that is not going to allow me to be in this community with you, and that there's real people and real stories that are struggling and that kids who are crying and worrying for, for knowing that as, as soon as that gets in the car and is striving to provide for his family, he might get pulled over because... He didn't do a full stop sign. And because he looks a little too brown, you know, he might be asked if he's undocumented. And then that's how he gets into the system. And then this family doesn't get to see their family for a very long time. And 
at that moment, you know, it was a lot of despair, but at that moment, I, I just kneeled down, and I looked into the cross, and I told God, I'm like, please allow me to see love. Please allow me to see compassion in others who are not seeing that compassion and love in us. That's really good. Um, so I, I want to continue on this, because the reason that we have this space right now um, is not political. I know it feels extremely political. I know that. Um, it's relational, right? So what we do is we kind of lob, lob grenades mm -hmm. because maybe a lot of people didn't grow up with the undocumented. The story isn't being told. They're not understanding, right? So here's what I would love for you to do if you could. Mm -hmm. um, just so we can all understand what's going on with our Christian brothers and sisters who are undocumented. Tell us what was going through your emotions when Trump was elected. Now, Regardless, this has nothing to do with, it's not like Trump is the president and we're going to continue to pray and support him and do what we can, right? But we also recognize we want to feel what's going on inside of you. So you let a little bit, uh, what happened with SB 1070, what's going on, help us understand like what, what's going on within you. Because some people honestly believe he's the second coming of Jesus and other people feel like he's the antichrist. And so help us, we all have these opinions. What about you? How, how are you feeling in all of this? So... Uh... I was volunteering on election day, and I was looking into the numbers, you know, and, and for me, I just, I just remember 2012. In 2012, my dad got detained. He was uh, separated from my family for about nine months. So we're still fighting his case. My little sister, her name is Angie. She's a U.S. citizen, and she, she was five at that time. My little brother was a sophomore in high school. So for our family, it was really tough. Um, we weren't able to spend Christmas. We weren't able to spend Thanksgiving or our birthdays with him. He would call, and you would only have 15 minutes to discuss everything, to discuss, did you talk to the attorney? How are you doing school? And I think for me, what, what surprised me the most was the fact that my dad was still being a dad. That regardless of him being isolated and being in, in a detention center, in a jail, he was caring for us. And he would, he's a horrible drawer. He's really bad at drawing. <laughs> and, and I remember that he would send me letters to my little sister, my brother and I, and, and he would draw, and he got really better. I was really surprised. <laughs> But he would try to just be like, I love you. Like, I'm praying for you. So he wasn't really worrying about himself. He was worrying about us. And even it was my parents' 22nd anniversary when he was detained. And in that call, he was like, Reina, it's, it's our anniversary, and I know I'm not there, but can you buy flowers for your, for your mom? And can you put a little note saying that they're from me? And I just hold it together, you know, and I try not to cry. And after he hung up, because it was the time is up, I just started crying because I, I was like, look how beautiful his love is regardless of the circumstances. So when Trump uh, won, I went back to that. Mm. I went back to that fear of not knowing if, if I would have to see at Angie and Mario, who are my, my little siblings, into the eyes and tell them, I don't know when daddy's going to come home. And, and that really hurts. Mm. Um, I was able to get a master's degree because of DACA. So DACA is a war permit 
that we were able to get people like me. You know, it doesn't benefit my parents, but people who came here when you were young and you're able to apply going through like a background check and then if you're able to prove that you've been living here for a certain amount of time, you're able to get this work permit. So with that work permit, I was also able to to get my master's degree, to teach high school. I was a high school teacher. And then also to uh, to buy a house. So I think for me, even just just beyond the fear of also like not knowing if my family was going to be together, that fear of losing the house that I've been making so many sacrifices to build. Because you you're afraid of DACA being removed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, I just stop real quick right there, Reina. Um, nobody in this room who has kids, when their kids um, – are afraid to go to the bathroom by themselves or afraid to be the light off, tells them, shut up, suck it up, right? That's not real. There's no monsters in the closet. No, as a good parent, like, you try to understand, like, buddy, listen. You're, try, like, you're trying to get understand, and, and even for a little bit, like, you maybe check the closet. You're there with them, right? And, um, and I feel like too often it's been this, like, I don't see you, right? So you are, uh, in a lot of ways, the epitome of a lot of the friends that I grew up with, and I'm wrestling in the evangelical world around predominantly white evangelicals um, who are like, almost don't know this people group, if you will. Um, so if you could, so I, I know you're going to be after, out, out there afterwards. Um, first of all, I appreciate you making this extremely relational for us. Um, but what would you want us to do? Like, what ways can we engage and can we know more? And if we not make it this like far off thing, but make it very tangible. You're here. You have a story. You're on the stage. You're sharing it. Um, we can't avoid that, right? So what ways can we um, engage the undocumented, understand? What would you want us to know? So I think for me, I always go in moments of despair, in moments of, of sadness, or when I feel afraid, I always go back to, to Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus taught us to be compassionate. Jesus taught us to be with the poor. And I, I really appreciated the worship. And, and it was, he's a God of mercy, right? And I think that Sometimes we feel we have we have so many voters in between us, and we think we're so different, but we're so the same. Yeah. We come from the same father. Mm. So what I would love for you to understand is to close your eyes and look into your heart and ask Jesus for the answer. Mm. Would Jesus be the Jesus who would close the door? to his sons and daughters? Would Jesus be judging them and blaming them for trying to survive? And that's what I would humbly ask you, to reflect in your faith and to ask yourself, are you going to be there with your neighbor? Are you going to see me as a neighbor? Or are you going to see me as other? When people are providing these hateful narratives or when there's a lot of darkness, are you going to be a light? Are you going to be a compassionate light standing for Jesus, for what he taught us to be there no matter what, to see each other with love? That's good. Thank you for sharing that. Can we pray for you? Jesus, thank you. Thank you, um, first and foremost, for Rena's life, her testimony. 
the story in which you have shown yourself very big and even now being a voice of reason for compassion, that we would hear her story as a congregation and people who in so many ways can't relate to this specific part of her um, and what, what has gone in, on in, in her story. I pray, God, that we would, as she said, try to understand, that we would engage, that we would, um, we would be brave enough same bravery that's exhibited on this stage now, we'd be brave enough uh, to go to someone not like us, ask questions, eat with, and try to understand. This, this is our prayer, that we would follow in your footsteps, Jesus, being merciful, being compassionate, being loving. We love you, we praise you, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So you're going to be here afterwards um, with your neighborhood ministries. Ricardo, can you raise your hand real quick, maybe, or if you want to stand to your feet? Ricardo's also going to be there afterwards. If you guys have questions, you also want to talk to him and the group and even what's going on in neighborhood ministries. You guys opened up an awesome youth center um, uh, yesterday, uh, all that. And then maybe just, you know, ways that you felt like you wanted to say some things. If they have some questions, we appreciate that. So can we give it up for her? Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. If you guys would not mind standing to your feet, we are going to read um, our text for this morning. Good morning. This morning's teaching text is from Matthew 2, verses 13 to 18. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region, who were two years old or under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Faith. So I, I have 20 minutes, um, and um, that 10 to 15 minutes interview was far worth it. Um, I know it felt like it. maybe you're worried about time. I, I'll do my best to be done. Um, if you don't know, we are taking this four weeks during the Advent season and not really focusing in on peace, peace and love and joy. Um, and, and, you know, if you're used to the Advent story, historically we would be lighting a candle. Instead, we're uh, taking a bottom-up perspective. So we are looking at the, the Christmas story, the story of Jesus arriving, his arrival, his Advent, um, from the perspective in which the Bible presents it. And the example that I've given, and I'll give it again, is on the eve of an opening of a business. That business owner invites people who are prestigious in that world, people who are known, people that he adores before the actual opening. And what we see is, um, in the story of Christmas, 
Christmas, Jesus' arrival, is the people that see first, the, the opening eve of this business, is people who are, and the, the language we've used, is marginalized. People who are outcasts, shepherds. Um, here is a woman who has no uh, a say in a culture. She is an unmarried woman, absolutely no say in a culture. She is now a teenage, pregnant, unmarried woman. She could not testify in court, and she is the Virgin Mary who Jesus uh, is ultimately born through. Shepherds who are on the bottom end of the totem pole. And this morning, we're not going to specifically look at somebody else that is revealed, but rather, as we go into next week, understanding how Jesus himself came. And this morning, we're going to talk about Jesus as a refugee, okay? And it's important that we see this. Now, our text uh, uh, starts in, in verse 13, and I'm going to read it. But before I do, for the sake of content, uh, our context, uh, and, and us even understanding what we're about to read, I actually want to read the first 12 verses. So I'm just going to read them, and I want you to see something that I think is amazing. And this will prompt the beauty of Jesus uh, being a refugee. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the, the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it arose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled at all Jerusalem, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes and the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, uh, uh, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained. Ascertained means God. Fancy words. Uh, got from them what time the, the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came to the rest, uh, to rest over the place where the child was. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasure, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Finally, verse 12, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The reason I wanted to read this is one context, but I need you to hear and see what we haven't done yet in the Advent story is how awesome Jesus is, okay? Listen to the story. If you go and look at, just, just see how awesome Jesus is. Now, um, on Wednesday night, I, I uh, introduced Chuck Norris jokes to my kids, okay? To my boys, and they're loving it. They're making up crazy Chuck Norris jokes. If you don't know what Chuck Norris joke is, it's like, Chuck Norris is so awesome. When he falls into water, he doesn't get wet. The water gets Chuck Norris. You know what I'm saying? He's so fast, he can punch himself in the back of the head by running around the world. Anyway, um, so the boys are making up silly things, like when he looks at the sun, the sun goes blind, like stuff like that, okay? Um, but but it, the, the point is, and they were asking, why Chuck Norris, right? Why Chuck Norris? And I was like, I don't know. Like, there's nothing awesome about this 80-year-old man. I don't know what to tell you. It just kind of picked up this, this uh, momentum, and suddenly there's Chuck Norris jokes everywhere. But what we see in the beauty of the text here is Jesus is a big, big deal. Look at, look at your Bibles. In verses 2 and 11, Jesus is so legit that we see in this story that people literally come from around the world to worship him. 
So whoever this guy is, they're coming around the world to worship him. We see in verse 3, Jesus is so much the light of the world as uh, going to be prophesied uh, or said in John 1 that a star, and before this the heavens burst open with light. Jesus is that big of a deal that a star, and we can get caught in the minutia, but a star, a star is hovering over where he is born. Jesus is so powerful that we see in this moment that the king, the ruler of the land, trembles. That word for trembles or is troubled literally means is spiritually agitated. Like something isn't right. My my, my power is going to be removed. My prestige is going to be removed. Jesus is a baby intimidating, intimidating Ray Lewis. That's how powerful he is. It's like, I don't care who you are. I'm a baby and I'm going to do work, right? The kings are afraid of this child. Jesus is so known that we see that he is talked about, and we see this over and over in the Old Testament, uh, uh, talked about through prophecy about him before he's ever born. People are like, there's this dude coming. I remember when LeBron was coming out of high school, he was like the next thing, right? He's coming out of high school just killing kids. And so we, we know here's this arrival. Before Jesus is born, there's this dude coming. I promise this guy's coming. He, he, you want, all the scouts are checking him out. They want to know who he is. And lastly, Jesus is so worthy that people in this moment open up their treasures and give them away to him. Jesus is a big deal. And I love the humility of Jesus. Leave it to Jesus to allow his, on his birthday, everyone else gets gifts. I think that's crazy. That's so, like, so here is Jesus, a big deal. He is a big deal. And our context is meant to show that. The kings are afraid. There's this caravan of wise men. We think that we've always, for whatever reason, thought it was three wise men. It was minimum 25 wise men, maybe up to 100 of them, who are kind of star mapping their way to know where, how to get there. Probably took a year for them to travel. All of the cities in kind of a hustle. Who are these men who've entered in? And they're looking for this baby. They're looking for this Messiah, this one who is to be born. They, they, they've uh, seen this revealed by God, and he's a big, big deal. Now, this big deal, Jesus... We're going to read in verses 13 through 18 how he is born into the world. Jesus is a big deal, and yet how is he born into the world? Because our plays depict verses 1 through 12 really well. But nobody wants to talk about verses 13 through 18. And so here's what we're going to do. I want to just, just enter into the narrative. If you're new, um, I do my best to try to break down like each word and try to get at the sentence. Um, but we're going to try to enter into this story here. I was talking with, texting back and forth with Paul, how we get lost sometimes. And was he born in an inn and all this? I just want to read the story. I don't want to get lost in the minutia. I want to read the story. And then I want us to see how Jesus, this big deal, is born into the world and, and, and really understand what's going on and how this is from the bottom up. So verse 13, things that we don't talk about in our Christmas stories. Now when they, uh, they being the wise men, departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. The story, the narrative is, here's Joseph, here's Mary, here's the baby Jesus. They're laying there in a dream. God says, hey, listen, get up. It's the middle of the night. I need you to get out of here because Herod, the king, who was dealing with the wise men before, is going to look for this baby and to kill him, okay? So here's our story. We're in this. Then Herod... When he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, because the wise men don't go back to Herod. Remember, Herod in in verses 1 through 12 said, hey, why don't you tell me when you find him? I want to come worship him, right? But he's tricking them. He doesn't care about Jesus. He wants to kill Jesus because he wants to be king. And so here is the wise men going, nope, 
nope, what we've been told not to. So they go, and so Herod's upset. He's tricked by the wise men. He became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or younger or under, according to the time that he had um, ascertained, again, got from the wise men. Verse 17, then was uh, fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping uh, and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. So the king doesn't like this. He is tricked. So he says, listen, (laughs) that's fine. I'll kill all the babies around this age. So any baby born from 72 to 74, I want gone in this region. And so this mass slaughter takes place with all these children because he doesn't want this baby uh, to to be born and to to be the king. Continuing on, what is not part of our text, but let's continue on in verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. Verse 21. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that um, Archelaus, which is the new king now, was reigning over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to a district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So let's enter into this story. There's a couple observations that I want you to hear what's taking place. Jesus, awesome. Jesus, a big deal. Yet Jesus, in this moment, his parents, Mary and Joseph, are forced to, in the middle of the night, leave their country and be a refugee. Now, they go to this other country because the government is trying to kill your child. This is the big deal, Jesus, what he's born into. So now they flee to another country. We don't know how long they're in this other country, but they start to get word of what's going on with all of their family, with all of their friends, with all of their coworkers, with all their fellow students, whoever it is, as they're having children, the children that they were pregnant with in Lamaze class are now suddenly being slaughtered. Everyone in your hometown is being slaughtered under the age of two. And so now you are in Egypt, in a place you don't know that well, in a place you don't understand that well, while all of your friends are in weeping and in mourning, and you here are a refugee because the government hates you. And this is how the big deal Jesus enters the scene. This is what we see. Now, In so many ways, this this should rattle us, right? Because what happens is, it doesn't even end there. What what happens is, eventually an angel visits um, uh, Joseph again and says, hey, Herod's dead. And so now they they get up and they go back to the region. They go back to an area in Nazareth, not to the same area. So instead of coming to Peoria, they go live in Scottsdale or something, or probably opposite. So they were living in Scottsdale, now they're in Peoria. Um, So so, so now now they're they're living into a, a different region, right? And as they arrive, check this out. I need you to, to, to enter into this story. Um, there's not a lot of kids that are Jesus' age as he grows up, is there? Not only that, the story of Mary was definitely circula- circulating around this small town, around this area. People know, hey, there's this woman who claimed to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we, we know who she, And her child was to be this, this great figure, but it was because of him. It was because of your child, Mary. It was because of you, Jesus, at nine years old, ten years old, that my baby isn't alive right now. So now they're living in this angst as a refugee, 
and now feeling not even safe or at home in the place that they live. And this is how Jesus enters the world. It's not that Jesus just comes from heaven and he enters our, our, uh, our, our earth or our atmosphere. No, 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 hear me. He enters into the darkest parts, the furthest parts, the hardest parts of our world. He enters as a running, fleeing refugee who because of him, hundreds, if not thousands of children are murdered. Jesus is a refugee. Now, um, as we see in the text, I want you to notice something um, going through this because we're reading about his birth, but this signifies Jesus' whole life, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus did not come here for comfort, and the question that we've been trying to ask the last two weeks and we're trying to ask today is, what can we learn from the marginalized in the Christmas story? What can we learn? And in this moment, we're learning from the birth of Jesus, and it seems there's only one thing that we can grab, that though the presents are there and the tinsel's there and the joy and the Christmas songs are all there, dare we not find our comfort in this world. Be careful to find your comfort in this world because your Messiah, your God, not only died a death that was not comfortable, not only lived a life that was not comfortable, but was born into a situation that was not comfortable. We celebrate on December 25th a baby being born in an uncomfortable situation. He is by all rights and purposes as a refugee marginalized. So, because it's not just the life and death, I want you to understand or his, his birth and death, um, his life. So, like, even before Jesus is, pro- like, born, listen to some of the prophecies that, that are laid out for him. So, some of this you're familiar with, but in Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 3, it says this, For he, talking about the future, so this is before Jesus is born. Before Jesus is born, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. So before Jesus is ever born, the prophecy about him is, he's not going to look awesome. He's a big deal, but he's not going to look like it. And then when he's born... We see that the, the, the very beginning of John chapter 1, this is what it says in John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. He, talking about Jesus, now in the present, according to the text, was in the world, and the world was made through him, okay? So Jesus is not just so awesome in the way that he is, and kings are afraid, and people are giving him treasure, but all the world is made through him, for him, to him. Everything is about him. And yet, look at that word yet in verse 10. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So not only was he prophesied to not be seen as awesome, when he was on the earth, he wasn't seen as awesome. But it doesn't end there, because then we get in the epistles looking back on Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, here's the word again, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you might uh, so, so that you might, by, the po- by his poverty, might, be become, might become rich. So Jesus not just dies this horrible, uncomfortable death, not just lives this uncomfortable life that we see, but is born in uncomfortability, and we are intoxicated with this stuff. It feels like everything we do, we run from pain, we hate it, and rightfully so in a lot of ways. 
But I wonder if the pendulum has swung so far that, again, we, we have caused ourselves to be numb to what God might be doing through it, to be reminding you that this world is not your home. If Raina has anything in her back pocket, it is to know that America, in the end, is not ultimately your home either. We belong to a kingdom that is not of this earth, man. And it's good for us to know, and Jesus being born the way that he is can remind us of that. So here's where I want to finish. I want you to look at your text again, and I want you to see in verse 15, and then I want you to look at verse 17 and 18, and then verse 23. At the end of each one of these sections, you're going to see there's this prophecy that kind of finishes off what's being said. So the story of what's going on with Mary and Joseph fleeing uh, into Egypt. And then it says in verse 15, uh, uh, and remained there, there being in Egypt, until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. And then it does it again in verse 17 and 18. Then it does it again in verse 23. <laughs> this is really awesome, okay? And this is where I kind of get geeked up as, a, as a, someone who loves studying the Bible. Because first and foremost, when you read verse, if you do any type of study, when you read verse 15, you're going, that was probably the most taken out of context you could possibly do. So Matthew, if you don't know, is a Jew writing to Jews. He's trying to share the gospel with Jews, and he's doing something so awesome. He is rereading the Old Testament in light of this baby being born. And so what he's doing is he's referencing Hosea 11, and Hosea is recalling the story of the Exodus. Now, if you're, you're paying attention to our story here, it stinks of the story of Exodus, doesn't it? I mean, look at the life of Jesus. Just a, a couple observations that I, I think are beautiful here. First of all, Jesus goes down into Egypt to flee from death, where the, Egypt, where the uh, Israelites flee out of Egypt, right? Uh, Moses, who is their prophet, is sent away in the Jordan River. You know where Jesus was baptized, right? I mean, this is crazy stuff. Uh, we see this over and over with the fact that here's a mass slaughter of children because of sin, because of hate of a ruler, right? So, so what Matthew is doing is he's going back and saying, I need you to reread the Old Testament in light of Christ, of this baby, because he changes everything from Genesis to Malachi. He changes it all. But, but then he doesn't it in there because then he references back uh, Jeremiah 31 when it says this, verse 17 then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. What's immediately being referenced in Jeremiah chapter 31 is that the, the, the period after the Israelites are taken out of Egypt, they are then kidnapped by Babylon and they now are in exile. And in this moment, God is saying, I'm doing something. I'm doing something. So he starts with these two references, talking about the, the birth of Jesus, trying, for, trying to, to, to teach us and the Jews at this time to reorient our thinking about the Old Testament, to see it in the light of the beauty of Christ. But here's what I, I think ultimately um, he's doing that I think is so awesome and why he uses these two direct things. In both situations, the people of Israel are in a home that is not their own. In both situations, the people are under oppression. And Matthew is laying out this idea of this is what Jesus is starting. Jesus is putting in front of you, you don't belong to this world. He ultimately, we ultimately represent pilgrims. We ultimately represent exiles. We ultimately represent a people who are in a land that we do not belong to, that our kingdom is not of this earth. And to prove it, 
the last prophecy that says in, in verse 23, and he, talking about uh, um, uh, Joseph, went and lived in a city called Nazareth with his family, so that was spoken by the prophets, might, uh, so what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is, this is where I'll finish, and I think it's awesome. If you look up that passage right there, just that text, that word, Google search it, do whatever you want, you will find it nowhere in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, Nazarene didn't even exist when the prophets were preaching. It was created around that period between your New Old Testament and your New Testament. Matthew knows this. The writers know this. No, 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 no. I need you to listen. Where everywhere else there's a specific prophet quoted, I need you to look at verse 23. And he lived, or he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets, pro, spoken by the prophets, might be fulfilled. And then he references Nazareth. Nazareth, Nazareth, long story short, translating from Hebrew to Greek literally means like from the sticks, right? So I didn't come up with that. It's literally from the sticks, like from nothing. And here's this city Nazareth that he is born into. And his point, as Jerome said, let me quote Jerome real quick. He's an early church father. Uh, He says he didn't, talking about um, Matthew, he didn't take this, these words from the prophets, uh, from the words of the prophets, but from the sense of the prophets, meaning that what the Old Testament was trying to tell the Jews over and over and over again. What the prophets were trying to put in front of the Israelites over and over and over again is that he is going to come from a place of bottom feeders. He's going to come from the place that is not awesome. He is not going to be prestigious in appearance. He is not going to be everything you want him to be. He is not going to conquer Rome or destroy Herod. No, hear me. He's going to be born meek, mild, humble, as a runaway refugee because the government hates him. This is the Christmas story we enter into. This is what the prophets were trying to tell us. So my prayer is during this time of Advent that we would ultimately, at our core, understand that our comfort is not found in this world because we serve a God who was born into this world, not seeking comfort even from birth. May we relish in that fact. May we enjoy all the gifts God has given us, but in light of, he's given them as good gifts to glorify him. Let's pray.